Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. Hey y'all. Happy <laughs> happy end of the year. Yes, we're finally coming to the end of this hellish nightmare escape that was 2020. And while I know that a new year doesn't necessarily change anything... Uh, legitimately changes nothing. <laughs> Remember in 2019 when we were all like, this is the worst it can get. <laughs> no. <laughs> so naive. Listen, uh, I think on a personal standpoint, we've got a lot of exciting things coming in the next year. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll mention a bit about that at the end of this one, folks. Uh, but, until then, we've got one more episode of Battle of the Atom to do. We got an experience to survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Adam, we gotta we gotta talk about everybody's favorite heartthrob. We do. We have to talk about <laughs> him. He's big, he's bold, he's beautiful, he's the blob. It's Fred Dukes, and this episode is all about him. Uh and do you know why it's all about him? Uh well, aside from being uh, the Green Lagoon bartender, I, I assume someone made a request. Yes. Uh, sorry, I had to... I'm going to edit out the fact that I'm describing that I'm pointing to my picture of Fred as the Green Lagoon bartender that Joshua Kassara, uh drew on the side of a scrapple scorecard his wife and I his wife and him were playing. Uh, that's fine. That's just in my office at all times now. It. No. Uh, we're, we are talking about Fred Dukes because Jake Chenoweth went on over to patreon.com slash Xavier Files and threw a little money our way uh, you know, to help to help us keep going. Uh, if you want to be like Jake, uh, we'll talk. I mean, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Battle of the Atom for now uh, and see what you can do to, you know, follow one of the tiers. Um, I'll tell you, there's some changes coming in mm-hmm. mere days. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, yes, folks. very exciting stuff. Uh, also very exciting. Um, we're going to start this show with, uh, a mini series that I liked very much and it, it harkens back to the ancient times of the age of X-Men. It's an X-Men update. I couldn't hear you for a second. Oh, it's okay, Adam. I just did the X-Men update noise. Oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> it's done. I already I already gave everyone their beep beep beeps. Um yeah, no, this is about Nate Gray. Well, kind of. It's about it's about the weird weird world that Nate Gray made where uh all intimacy, uh including personal relationships and sexual relationships were strictly forbidden. Yeah, yeah. And uh somebody's got to make sure that if people are uh people are uh rocking that uh there's a team that comes a knocking yeah adam it sounds like you're describing uh describing something and you know i believe i believe in the words of cheap trick it <laughs> goes a little bit like this uh because 
we all know that the Age of X-Men was actually happening when Nate Gray, the X-Man, combined himself with Legion and then brought all of the X-Men who were hanging out in, like, British Columbia or something, trying to stop him from taking over the world after he killed the Pope, uh, brought them into his mind brain and created mm-hmm. a weird anti-sex utopia. And, like you said, he had to have the sex police that live inside of his head. The sex police, they come to him in his bed. The sex police, 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 the sex police, they're coming to arrest me. Oh, no. <laughs> As a cheap trick fan, I really appreciated that. Um, oh man! How soon after I started for that? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. Listen, listen, listen. Here's the thing. Listen, you can you can roll back the tapes and go to when we talked to Leah about this episode Mm -hmm. about this story. Uh, Our friend Leah Williams wrote this, so we're going to be as unbiased as we can. But like you've seen her on the show, we're going to be cash, and we like this anyway. So screw you guys. It's our show. We can we can say it's good or not. Yeah. Um, and this is an interesting team. Um, we have a lineup of Iceman, Jubilee, North Star, Psylocke, and Blob, and a uh, new character made exclusively for this miniseries and never to be seen again, Moneta. Um, um, never say and- never. Moneta just hasn't shown up again. Uh, she's very uh, disagreeable, so I don't think anyone's ever oh, going to bring Moneta she's a, back. She's a little proud boy. She's a little fascist. <laughs> yes. I don't care for her. Uh, Georges Genti uh, does the pencils in this one. Roberto Poggi uh, does the inks. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, yeah. I, I want to talk place? about the art, but I want to I want to save it because uh, I want to talk about the story first, which I, is a really interesting one. Yeah, it's it's five five uh, issues and it's structured as an issue around each of the core members of the team so the first issue is about Iceman. he's you know joking around and it sets the stage of well yeah we're the sex police but mm-hmm. we're just we're just we're just here having a good time folks <laughs> right we're just oh no we're gonna they bake were some doing cookies have sex oh yeah. <laughs> no she's pregnant what Uh-oh. do we do yeah let's lock her in the goofy. basement okay uh, yeah so it gets dark is the thing Mm -hmm. uh the second issue is about psylocke and a lot of how she sees herself uh the third issue is about blob and his uh secret love affair with psylocke which is played incredibly beautifully uh the fourth issue is about north star saying it's really messed up what's happening here and I feel bad about it and I can't put my finger on it and then they all realized that they had their entire identities erased including their sexual identities which this on this team with you know North Star and Iceman explicitly and Richter who shows up just to you know <laughs> have a riot with them like an actual riot uh they take that I don't want to say personal because that sounds condescending to them because they're absolutely in the right. Uh, they they forcefully uh, exert their opinions on this. And then yeah. the last issue is about Jubilee uh, realizing, oh, no, this is so messed up. Where is my baby? Oh, <laughs> right. I'm going to burn down the world until I find my baby. I locked a pregnant Asian lady in the basement. Yeah. She's yep. having a bad day. Yeah, so these these uh, fascist enforcers uh, are all having their little moments of enlightenment here. The core of this really does seem to be built around the relationship between uh, Blob, 
Fred Dukes and uh, Psylocke. This is probably the first time that we see Fred in this light. I mean, we were just talking off air about this. Like if we go back to Blob's origin, he's sort of this cranky, cantankerous sideshow act. Um, And sometime bank robber, you know, like he's used sparingly throughout X-Men continuity but he's never been used in this way where he's um, a, 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 you know, a lover of poetry, a, uh, a, a real like <laughs> a real gentleman and uh, just doesn't think he can live without his feelings, even if they're not acted upon. Here's the here's the thing about Blob. He's a until 2019 when this came out, he's a stock character. And unfortunately, that stock is, hey, look, a fat guy. Let's make fun of him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's bad. Um, we shouldn't we shouldn't do that. Uh, and that shouldn't be his entire personality. You remember how Blob got depowered on M-Day and it was just all real bad? Yeah. 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 Like, what Leah in... Uh, Leah and Georges do here is they take Blob and they say, okay, but what if he was a real person? He'd probably have more going on than just being like, oh, I'm so big. No one can move me. I'm the Blob. No, he'd probably have like an inner life and thoughts and feelings about things. And that's all it takes to take a bit player, a a guy that you throw in there because the X-Men has got to punch somebody for a few pages and make him something, someone that people care about. I think importantly, uh, George Genty does not draw him as like he, he draws him as fat. Let's not, let's not sugarcoat it. He looks exactly like the blob, but Genty does this thing where he's, his design is just an open, his design is the Morrison Wolverine. Yeah, uh, the Morrison quietly Wolverine, yeah. uh, and he gives him a, a Fu Manchu, uh, and he is—he's a hunk, you know. There's he's... there's sex appeal in this. There's a right. the cover to number three uh, by uh, Raza uh, is this absolutely gorgeous silhouette of Blob and Betsy holding hands in front of a sunset, mm-hmm. and Blob is drawn. Like he is a massive guy, an absolute unit, but it's not, it's framed in such a way that it's not a joke. This is just, this is him. This is his reality and this is his life and we should love and care for him regardless of what he looks like. It seems like it should be an obvious thing, yet somehow people don't get that you should treat people nice regardless of what they look like. Yeah. I mean, Blob to this point had always just been, uh, as you mentioned, a bit player, but he's always just been in the tank as a villain. So giving him this opportunity to grow as a character is fantastic. Um, I would also be remiss if I didn't say how much I loved the fifth issue, especially the end of the fourth into the fifth with Jubilee, just absolutely bugging out when she realizes that, uh, you know, she's a mom and where's Shogo? Um, and where are we? What is this? Let's burn it down. 
um, and and her you know attempts at trying to uh, sort of rectify the situation with uh, Nizumi um, after she gives birth is it's just it's such good writing I, I really enjoy it now I did say I wanted to talk about the art briefly and I don't think that George's art lands all the time um you know there's an unfinished quality to the artwork in this series that i don't love um but i i will give it up there are some absolutely awesome uh parts of this especially with different facial expressions and different ways that things are laid out that i really enjoy i i just think that if if i was to get a do-over i don't know if he would have been the art that I artists that I would have chosen to pair with this writing. Cause I, I, I think the writing outshines the artwork. I, I agree with you there. I think the artwork uh, can be spotty in some places here. I think the coloring by Jim Charlambidus uh, really helps elevate things here. I mm-hmm. think that works really well. He adds, he adds a lot of texture and a lot of tone uh, to the, to the art here. And I think that that can help, but I, I'd echo what you're saying there. Uh, Genty's not my favorite artist on uh on this book and that's a shame because you know there's a, it doesn't it doesn't take everything away from the book uh no. but it it's not it doesn't elevate it to that next level the yes. other the other big criticism i'd have about this book is due to its structure it's a little disjointed it feels like the first issue is setting up the nizumi sen uh, plot with her being pregnant. And by the way, I love Nizumi Sen. She's great. I've been <laughs> reading a, a lot character. of Usagi Yajimbo as as I have mentioned on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. So anything about like, hey, y'all know how uh how like rats are friggin' cool in Japan and like that's a that's a thing. And now we got this Wolf's Bane, but she's a rat lady. That's cool. I like yeah, her. It's and a great especially character. Be- especially because she's she's like always anti-fascist she's like no this is very bad i would just like to have sex with my you know partner and lover luke who is my good good buddy who disappears and is never seen again that is true Uh, we don't get to see him again nizumi sen and baby sen uh do get to uh do get to just drive off into the sunset with a bag full of money before all of reality explodes so that's Mm -hmm. pretty good um but it's a little disjointed the second two issues are really focused around blob and betsy which they're great and the last two issues are really focused around the riot with Iceman and north star and jubilee and richter however there is there is a disjointed quality to all of that in that it it gets you really invested in one story and then pulls away to move to the next uh i think between that and some of the resolution of how things happen with uh moneta because this is part of a larger crossover and some of those specific details happen in a different book and don't necessarily get repeated here, it makes for a challenging standalone read as opposed to when you're reading this with the Marvelous X-Men going on at the same time where you know, hey, last week, or it may have been the same week, I forget what the exact timing of it, but it's like, hey, Moneta died in this series. Uh, Now they're investigating her death here, but it... It loses a little something there. And I think that's that's a challenge with the structure. I can get behind that. I mean, this was Age of X-Men as a whole was designed to be written, written I mean, excuse me, was written to be read as one complete unit. Uh, and especially if you lose the other parts of it, 
Um, it's a little different than if you were reading Age of Apocalypse and you just read some of the more standalone series. So I agree with you to a point. I think mm-hmm. there are some series that are more or less exclusive standalones. Prisoner sure. X, Next Gen, uh, even the Nightcrawler series is more or less like it's its own thing. Right. Where extremists, uh, Marvelous X-Men, and Apocalypse in the X-Tracks all weave in and out of each other a right. little bit. A bit like in the second issue of Extremists, there is a plot point about, oh, uh, hey, we're we're starting a forest fire and you're not really sure why until you go to the part of Marvelous X-Men where they're putting out a forest fire because people need something to believe in. Dang it. (laughs) Right. Right. And it's a it's a good when you're reading it week to week. That was a great reveal because it was something that added so much more to the world very organically and very naturally. But you don't get that same impact when you're reading it as a standalone oh, uh, trade. When, it, when you're reading it on its own. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um, if you did read parts of Age of X-Men and you missed this particular piece, I, you guys have heard us uh, speak quite highly of Prisoner X. Definitely go back and check this out. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's a great showcase for uh, Leah. And uh, it's a really fun I- idea t- of exploring some of these characters in ways that they haven't been uh, for a long time. So uh, we should probably get to ranking this. What do you think, Zach? We should get to ranking this. Uh, now, we've got a big old list of X-Men stories. We, in fact, have all of the X-Men stories that we have talked about on this big old list. Uh Hey, here's a spoiler alert, folks. We're actually recording this episode and last week's episode out of order. So if you go back and you check the numbers, they're going to be wrong and shut up. Yeah. We'll, we'll it was all Christmas. Be okay. It's a whole thing. <laughs> it's fine. This made sense at the time. So just accept. Accept that this is going non-linearly. Or yes. you could listen to the episodes out of order. That'd be weird. But you could do it. <laughs> There's really uh, no no reason to listen to them in order, frankly, unless you're, like, really obsessed with our spreadsheet. Um, people do it, though. People binge this show, I, love I have it. learned. Thank you for it's, that, if you're doing that. it Listen, more power to you. I wouldn't make that choice, but more power <laughs> to you. You're your best um, salesman, number one, Zach. I know, bud. I know. Number one on our <laughs> list is Hawks Pox. Uh, number 100 is uncanny or not uncanny. Excuse me. Number 100 is ultimate X-Men one through six. The tomorrow people, uh, number 200 is power pack 11 through 12. The Morlocks arc number 300 on our list is generation. Hope the future is a four letter word. Number 400 on our list is Excalibur one fifteen, and number 444 is the Draco. So, So I don't think this is as good as, uh, Number 31 on our list, What If Magic, uh, also by Leah. I don't think this is as good as 38, uh, Age of X-Men, Prisoner X. No. Um, I I don't think it's as good as Age of, as Age of X-Men, Next Gen at 78, but that's a comic that was... Ex- okay, not explicitly. That's a comic <laughs> that does have Glob, Herman, and Maggot doing a fight. It's so great. it feels like it was made for me. In a reality that Nate Gray, the X-Man, made... Yeah, and then at 87, we have um, Leah's X-Men Black Emma Frost. I think that's also better than this. So I'm actually looking out of the the top 100 here. I think Um, that's fair. And I'm starting to to move a a little farther down the list. 
Um, one twenty-two on our list. House of M, a story that has not fantastic writing, very good art, similarly disjointed. Yeah, I, I would put this above that. I like the character moments here um, a lot better. Um, how would you put it up against something like Exterminators at 112? Mm, that's a toughie. That's a toughie? Okay. I'd put it below Exterminators, which is very good. Mm-hmm. I would I would put it below uh, number 114 on our list, which is Captain America 367, the time that Magneto threw Red Skull into a hole. I would agree with that. Um I would put it above Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, though. I mean, and you know I love a time caper, but uh, we've got that at 115. Um, I like this better than that. What do you think? I think that's a perfect spot for Age of X-Men extremists. Nice. It's a good place hey, for it on the if list. if you don't like Age of X-Men, you're wrong, and that's fine. <laughs> you, can, you can disagree with objectively correct takes, like how that event was good, actually. Yes. Uh, if you are still an, an Age of X-Men denier, uh, you're going to need to uh, rethink that at some point, I guess. We've, or, we've or I would ask covered you all, of, all of the best parts of it. <laughs> now now, now we're, we're down to a series that is flawed and then two series that are kind of bad. Well, but it's fine. We'll get there. Talking about uh, a a potentially flawed series, um, oh and boy. and Blob being a bit villain that is just there to get hit. Why don't we talk about some all new X Men Volume Two? <laughs> yeah, so this is all new X Men Volume Two, number four through seven. Uh, it's the arc where the all new X Men go to Paris. It's written by friend of the show Dennis Hopeless Hallam. Uh, with pencils by Mark Bagley, M. Bags himself. Uh, Andrew Hennessy does the inks. Nolan Woodard does the colors. Uh, yep. This is a weird era. This is when they had no clue what to do with the 05 and were not willing to take any risks. <laughs> yeah, that's... Is that that's generous? <laughs> exactly what I would describe this as. This is zero risks. This was... They got to... They they had Secret Wars. They had a chance to do something. Mm-hmm. And they chose to let all new X-Men continue to ride because it was selling pretty well still. Sure, but this is a the, the very different book. I mean, this is this was billed as a you know a road trip book. Um, we've got the O five plus Edie and uh, Genesis and one of the Banffs, uh pickles. And Wolverine. Uh, yes, here. yes. I'm sorry. And Laura Kinney, uh, Wolverine is along for the ride. Um, but it's a series of misadventures. And this one, as you said, they're in Paris and they bump into both Blob and then later Cyclops uh, is kidnapped by a, a very weird take on on Toad. Um, but Blob is essentially there to, again, I, I'm, I'm here. I'm kind of minding my own business, but I'm also being violent and uh hey uh, here i am hit me right i mean yeah that's his that's his role here he gets semi reimagined as a foodie like <laughs> right he wants he wants to eat exotic meats prepared by the finest chefs mm-hmm. uh, but he's going to do that instead of making a reservation by terrorizing a parisian uh bistro uh, gotta make a reservation fred yeah, Fred, come on. This is a, Call it's a ahead. city. <laughs> it, I don't love that take on Blob. 
Um, I think it's better than saying he's a glutton. I, I think it's, I think it's fat phobic adjacent. Like it's not there, but they they're sure playing on some of the same bad tropes that have plagued the character for his entire existence. Hey, all of us eat food. Um, it's it's okay to like nice food. Don't get it twisted. It's just that on top of the years and years of bad blob content. Yeah. I mean, it kind of stinks because like the way that blob is introduced is just this is this is who he is and uh, and and what form he takes. And, you know, to assign like guilt or anything like that to it just seems unnecessary. Um, there's a better take of this character where you you could have blob you know what i like is when there's juggernaut stories that we've talked we've talked about some of these on the on the pod before but juggernaut stories where juggernaut's just minding his own business but because he's juggernaut the x-men end up fighting him and like i would much prefer that approach with the blob like this is similar to that but he is being violent to his end which is cook this weird beast that i've brought into your restaurant um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that some people may see as a hot take, but I think is accurate. Every time a supervillain's just doing boring stuff, it's a good comic. <laughs> Every time a supervillain is just like minding their own business and palling around and just doing whatever, and they're like, oh come on, I'm not trying to be evil right now. That's always fun. I love jobbers. I love those street level guys who are just like, yeah, they're criminals. And yeah, if you if you look at the breadth of continuity and everything they've done, not great, actively horrible people. But if you just look at a slim, slim slice of man, I'm just trying to work to get by. I just I I got this I got this snake costume, so I gotta get the mileage out of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I owe a payment to Hobgoblin right now, man. You just you gotta help me out. I just I'm sorry. AIM, AIM was paying well. I don't know what to tell you. They have health insurance. <laughs> yeah, it's love, bad insurance, but it's better than random AIM guys that like are just working for a dollar. Um I think we saw one of those recently in, in Giant Size Storm. Um it's oh, that guy great, was good. It's a great concept. Uh, this ain't great. Um, I I gotta say, I mean, as someone who was reading the series as it was coming out, and you know, wanting to wanting it to be better than I think it it, it actually is. Um, it, there's not a lot happening here. You know, it's it's a fight for no real reason. Um, I think the closest we're getting to a character arc here is the relationship between Warren. And Laura, um, Warren is increasingly disturbed by Laura kind of just throwing herself into action and willing to be mutilated. And it's it's just not interesting, you know? And it's it, it, patronizing is what it is. She's Wolverine. Right. Like, she she can heal from anything. And right. yes, in in the grand arc of Laura Kenny stories, her relationship with you know, care for her own body is a totally messed up thing. I understand that. The way that it's written here is Warren being like, I don't like that my girlfriend is doing things with her claws and her healing factor, and she's going to get herself in trouble. And then Blob punches her a bunch, and he just kind of stands over like, I told you you're going to get yourself in trouble. And then she's fine ten minutes later. Right. Like, legitimately, she's like, yeah, that sucked. I don't want to get punched in the face 400 times by a very large, strong man. 
and that's that's the whole thing. And then Warren Warren does this whole thing where he's like, "Yeah, look, see, I can unleash myself too." But he's got his stupid black vortex fire wings, <laughs> and I can't take him seriously. Can we talk about how all of the costume designs in this are bad? Yeah, it's not it's not good looks. And and frankly, um, putting Bagley on this book just it doesn't work for me. You know, um, he's he's an extremely talented artist. Um, you know, but oh. It doesn't no work. disrespect to M bags. No, guy guy is a legend. I, I just do not understand why they thought this was a good fit or or, or where to go with these characters, especially because the after our uh, after Angel defeats uh, Fred, there's this whole other part where an almost unrecognizable like Silver Age version of the Toad, um, who I guess has fallen off the wagon, takes Cyclops into the catacombs and like basically beats his head in with a bottle of bourbon. Like it's so weird. And I do not like it. I like to point out that it's not bourbon. It's definitely a Tennessee whiskey. Thank you for that clarification, which is essentially bourbon, (laughs) but it's made in Tennessee. It's Jack Daniels. It's fine. They just couldn't write Jack Daniels. They just drew the very iconic. They just drew the bottle. bottle. Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, it's just kind of a a disappointing use. I mean, there are interesting aspects of this series as a whole that um, I do actually like, you know, um, the beast uh, exploring magic angle. I've always thought was was kind of interesting Um, there. There are legitimately interesting things here, but as a whole, the series never kind of impressed. And this is probably the low point where it just feels like treading water. Is it weird that the only thing they can give ID uh, to do in this is to yell at God in a very oh, empty Notre Dame cathedral? Right. Yeah. It's weird. Like, it's, you, it's some point. it's not saying anything. No. It's just her saying, man, why do bad things happen to good people? Yep. And we have got to, folks. Folks, we have got to dig deeper. We have got to explore people's relationship with religion at any level deeper than that. <laughs> I'm begging you because it's fascinating. It's an incredible sociological like thing. There's so much to be mined here. It's there's you can't just be like, man, and bad things happen to good people. It's just like there's more right that you can do with these stories and i know i get on a i get on a soapbox about this because jason aaron does it uh <laughs> he does mm-hmm. uh but like come on folks go read jeff loveness is judas it's super good and it literally deals with all this stuff better yeah anyway i'm off i'm off for that all right let's uh this is a bad this is a bad book move into ranking. All X-Men's not good on this um i am looking down we don't have any all new from the hopeless run. No, we. This is our first time uh, with with this particular run. Um, I'm looking in the three hundreds. Um, better or worse than the first arc of X Men Volume Four Primer. Oh wait, actually, you just highlighted it. We do have an all new X Men. Yeah. Uh, that I don't remember this at all. Yeah, that's. The I don't s- remember covering this. When I do. Did we do. I remember that. That's the standalone issue with uh, Iceman Romeo. And, and Romeo. Um, that's definitely better than this. 
It is, but that's a low bar. <laughs> um, I'm looking. It's not as good as. It's not as good as three seventeen, the new mutant summer special. No, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's as good as X Men Volume Two, Ten and Eleven. The Mojo not arc. as good as number three, number six, or three twenty six, Iceman Volume Three, one through five, thawing out. Not as good as Extraordinary X Men one through five. No. Um, oh, we're just we're just gonna keep working our way down the list here, aren't we? Um, how do you feel about it compared to the Muir Island Saga? It's close. Yeah, you you have highlighted right above it the five lights from Uncanny. I feel I think like five lights is better. Yeah, yeah, we're we're on like the same par though. Um, I feel like um, Judgment War is better at three forty five. Yeah, it's not better than uh, NYX No Way Home. Yeah, it, it's probably better than Life and Times of Lucas Bishop at three forty seven, and Cyclops Retribution at 346 mm. but I, I think that's about as high as i'm gonna go how do you feel about it compared to okay no okay i i highlighted uncanny x-force volume two one through six let it bleed and it's better than that yeah uh, my vote would be right below judgment war where's judgment uh mm. 345 i would actually say i'd want to go a little bit lower okay Right, ab- right above the incredibly long New Mutants Asgard story, and right below Return of the Legion. That's a great spot for it. So that would be our new three fifty. That would be our new three fifty. Perfect. I mean, this story's not perfect. Uh, no, no, and I don't want to dissuade people from the series as a whole. Um, but that you could you could skip that arc easily. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could, you could. But we've got one more story to talk about, and this is a one that I had not read. Yeah, I hadn't either. This is a pleasant surprise. Oh, this one, this one was kind of joyous to read because we talked about how Blob has been a bit character and all this stuff, and we also talked about how our favorite, my favorite thing, is bad guys just like trying to get by. Yeah, and this one, <laughs> it's uh. It's exactly that. It's a story from Marvel Fanfare number seven with friends like these. It's written by Stephen Grant uh, with pencils by Joe Barnley. Uh, George Freeman does the inks and Petra Skatosi does the colors. Um, So what do you know about Marvel Fanfare, Adam? I mean, it's just an anthology title, right? I mean, we have different creators coming on and and doing arcs or or individual issues about... uh variety of different characters. I mean, I know the first arc is X-Men and the Savage Land. It was both an anthology title and also a uh, a resting ground for stories that we're not going to get told. Oh, okay. So, what do you know about inventory issues, Adam? Inventory issues are usually something that uh, the publisher keeps around for an ongoing just in case the, the book is running late. So we've seen those, especially, I think we've talked about a couple from X Factor, um, where, and, and sometimes they don't feel totally cohesive. So um, is Marvel fanfare basically just leftover inventory issues? Is that what you're saying? A lot of, a lot, a lot of Marvel fanfare. Okay. Leftover inventory okay. Issues. This does kind I, of I'm feel not like going, that. I'm not going to say 100% of it was, because I don't believe that's true. 
but a lot of it was inventory issues that they just kind of had to they're like well we paid for it (laughs) yeah it's already here we might as well do it uh so this one's interesting because this was pretty obviously a hulk issue and you can tell that it was an inventory issue because there is a uh there is an asterisk that said hey this comes in continuity before the Hulk got smart again. Um, right. So forget where Hulk is right now. This happens sometime in the past. In the before times. <laughs> and where, uh, where is Hulk going, Zach? Because this is a kind of, this is a fun premise. Hulk goes to the fair. Yes. Who's Hulk fair? Doesn't like, Hulk doesn't like the government uh, attacking him and chasing him because Hulk just want to be left alone. Mm. Hulk go to circus. Uh, and at that circus... Um, Fred Dukes is running the show. He sure is. And he is helping out a close personal friend of his who is. Unis the Untouchable. That's right. Who is having some real trouble with his force field. Yeah. You remember how Unis is untouchable? Because mm-hmm. he's Unis the Untouchable. He's, he's even, um, no one... even more untouchable now. Yeah. His powers are going out of whack because I don't know if anyone can. I think it's like Rogue. And then Unis the Untouchable in terms of I can't control my powers. Right. Cyclops is probably up there. Mm -hmm. Fine. But it's. But that's like a feature of Cyclops at this point. It's like Rogue and Unis in terms of, oh, no, it's all going haywire and I don't know what to do. Yep. Unis is uh, like he his force field has extended well past uh, the radius of his arms and. Like, the only way that he can get food is if Blob walks into it because nothing can move him and force feeds Unis it's his so, food. It's so great that, that the Blob is, like, really nursing Unis, you know, so he doesn't die, basically. But the other funny thing about it is that Unis's force field is holding up the circus tent. Yes, that's also very which good. Is, doesn't make sense because then nobody can get in the tent. But um, I think that's a special Unis tent. <laughs> I think that's I think that's his his home his is tent. that circus tent size yeah. cavern where Unis can uh, be uh, be taken care of by his his guy pal uh, Blob, who he just really cares about his friend, and I like that. Yeah, and so uh, our, the Hulk obviously, um, you know, he ain't so bright. Hulk smash. Uh, wants to fight so fights the blob um really does actually manage to uh to take blob out after a certain point at which point unis is like yo dude that's my homie uh i gotta i gotta take you out and uses his force field powers to um to well give it a shot at least uh hulk is still successful which i i would love to see them take the hulk out but they don't. Uh, but it was the Hulk's book. You. That's true. Here's the thing. That's Hulk true. is the strongest one there is. <laughs> Anytime someone physically beats Hulk, it's a bad story. Especially when someone like does it on his honeymoon and breaks his arm, Ben. Benjamin Grimm. <laughs> I think that was a bad story that Daniel Slotts told. Oh, man. Well, what what is good is that because of this altercation, Unis has got his force field back under control. And uh, he can help Blob uh, and and return the favor and, and take care of him. So the the story ends with Unis uh, carrying Blob uh, back to back to the 
the carnival, I guess. This is like if you have to have a inventory anthology burner series, I'd want it to be something like this where it, it makes it's the only time Blob and Unis the Untouchable get to like do stuff. And they're fun, and I like them here. Uh, Stephen Grant is a writer I don't care a huge amount for. Like, he's fine. He wrote Moon Knight for a little while, which was very confusing, because there is a character in Moon Knight named Stephen Grant. Oh, uh, that is confusing. Very confusing. Um, don't don't know why Editorial didn't say, hey, Stephen, we got to put you on something else, man. <laughs> uh, I, think, I, think, I think the art is... It is boilerplate good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks like just kind of standard issue, maybe 70s style house art. Um, yes. And it's fine. It works perfectly for this story. If you are um, an Unis the Untouchable uh, fan, if, if you like the blob, you'll like this story. You know, like it's it's got a lot to love. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Uh, that's about it. Like, it's on Marvel Unlimited. Go track down this one. This yeah, is fun. Go check that one out. Um, I think this is better than that Paris story we just talked about. Oh, yeah. Where's um, Where's our Unis? Okay. We got to look for Lucifer. 124 right? is Unis the Untouchable's first appearance. When he can't eat the cake. I don't think this is as good as that. I'm shocked that that's that high. <laughs> Yeah, and and I Lucifer, which I believe begins with an Unis the Untouchable bank robbery, right? That's yes, down that's at... what Unis, that's what Unis and Blob do a bank robbery. Yeah, that this is definitely expert. better than that. That's all the way down at three sixty six, but not it's not which their is fault. Not Unis and Blob's fault. No. that's Lucifer's fault. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is like just kind of like meaningless fluff, but it's fun, meaningless fluff. I, I enjoyed reading this quite a bit. I don't think this is better than 165, which is Power Pack 19. Uh, but I could see this as better than like Power Pack 11 through 12, the Morlock story that we talked about uh, fairly recently. Yeah, sure. Um, that's at 201. I don't think this is as good as the first appearance of Juggernaut, though, which is at 200. Well, then I think we found our spot. Perfect. That's great. This can be our new new 201. It's a cute little story. Go check it out. It is. It's You'll great. You'll ship these two. It's really great. Man, maybe we should just make Blob a romance character, because I like <laughs> it every time he's nice to people. Yeah, I'm really hoping he uh, has a, a stronger... Uh, appearance and presence and reign of X, but we'll see. I mean, there's only so many, it's only so many pages for so many characters, right? Here's, here's the thing about blob in his Krakoa uh, status quo. As much as I love blob now, specifically because of those five issues that Leah wrote, as much as I love blob, any additional story with him will make blob sad. Mm. And I, I'm okay with him just like being a bartender and because he enjoys it because he's not getting paid to do this. He's just like, Oh, people wanted a bar. I can, right. I know how to make drinks. I'm great at drinks. And then he just makes drinks for people with his friend, Annalie. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. He wears Hawaiian shirts. I love it. He, he alternates between having his mustache and shaving it off. That's okay. You got it. It's fine. Got to live your life. You know what I mean? Live your truth, Freddie. <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, 
Well, I'm glad we, we got a chance to uh, to take a look at some of these appearances. I, I think that was pretty fun. Yeah, I'm glad Jake Chenoweth went on over to patreon.com slash battle the atom and threw money our way. Uh, if you want to be like Jake, we're actually um, going to be... Uh, here's a thing. What, it, what's the thing? I hear it, there's things happening, Zach. Yeah, uh, so Xavier Files is dead. <gasps> it's dying. You're dead? Didn't that happen uh, already I this am, year? You turned I into a vampire. I am not Xavier Files. Xavier Files is a website. Um, <laughs> oh, wait. But... I was the vampire. Yeah, you were the vampire. I was the werewolf. <laughs> All right. Keep so up with it. It's... this is not a fictional death. This is a, a legitimate. No, this is this is a very real death. Xavier Files, as a concept, uh, has has it hasn't died yet. It dies in, I believe, when this airs, four days. Okay. Um, and in its in the ashes will rise Comics XF, which is our new uh, site. It's going to be hosting so many uh, cool things, all the same great content and more. Uh, some great podcasts like us, uh, WMQ and A. Uh, you got Chris's on Infinite Earths is going to be joining us, which is a lot of fun. Um, we got we got some really cool things happening. And one of the, one of the things we're doing, we're actually going to be revamping the Patreon uh, structure to support the website itself. There are still going to be tiers to uh, support Battle of the Atom directly, and get a one of the rewards will be for us to rank a story that you like. But those funds are going to go directly to the people who are making all the stuff happen at uh, Comics XF. Yeah, uh, it's very exciting. I'm. It's been a huge amount of work. I'm thrilled to see how this stupid little website that I made at my kitchen table one morning over <laughs> bacon and eggs because I, for some reason, thought that my opinions were worth listening to uh, has turned into what I honestly believe is an incredibly fertile ground with some of the smartest, funniest, and uh, most thoughtful people writing about comics today where they can all uh, live and talk about whatever they feel like and it's just really cool, and it's exciting, and now no one will think we're just an X-Men fan blog, uh, <laughs> all of which is great, because mm -hmm. um, legitimately, folks, a lot of people read our stuff. Like, we may not be the top site in the world. CBS may not be running to our door trying to give us all the money, but, like, we're doing all right, and having that happen over the last, let's say, roughly a year since the site has been a lot more collaborative and a lot more a group of weird individuals coming together and doing cool stuff. Seeing that change in just a short amount of time has been awesome. And I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. Uh, so we'll get into, uh, we'll get into the actual structure of the Patreon once it relaunches as comics XF. Uh, if you want to see what's going on on the site, uh, it will be comicsxf.com, though that is not live until the first uh, until then, it's Xavier Files and Xavier Files on uh, on Twitter and all the other sites. It'll be Comics XF. I already you you can't steal the thing from me. I already have it. I've <laughs> right. already claimed. I claimed it months ago. <laughs> this was something that was well planned, and uh, I I could not be more excited for uh, this team to have this new branding around all of the talent and all the work. Um, that, that they do in day in and day out. It's just fantastic. So congratulations, Zach. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it. And I have to say, I mean, this has been an absolutely bonkers year. Um, and it has been an absolute pleasure to continue working on this podcast with you. So uh, 
thanks for keeping Battle of the Atom going strong. Thank you, Adam. <laughs> I'm 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 glad that you are doing this podcast with me. It's been a weird year. <laughs> sure has. I'm happy. I'm happy to be spending it with you for the most part. Heck, we got to meet each other this year. That was weird. I know, man. We got to go to Chicago. That was great. Um, so uh, keep our, keep your eyes out for this, uh, the the Comics XF CXF uh, relaunch. Uh, folks, who want to follow me, you can always go to our, uh, at Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And uh, <sighs> Are we we're done for 2020? We got what are we what that's, are we doing next? That's a wrap on 2020. Yeah. Uh, in 2021, we are going to keep this fanfare train running. We are going to ring in the new year with some other inventory and weird stories from Marvel fanfare. Nice. But until then, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. Get it!